Friends, today we start a new sermon series about the church entitled A Community We Can Call Home. Today I want to talk to you about the church as the creation of the Holy Spirit. As we begin, it's important to briefly define the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me begin by saying that the Spirit of God is mysterious, certainly beyond our understanding, as is God as well, of course. Reflecting that inherent mystery, the word for spirit in Hebrew, ruach, may also mean wind or breath. The Spirit, again, is not one we control or fully understand, as we see from Jesus' statement to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, friends, I understand the scriptural terms, especially in the Hebrew Old Testament, Spirit, God's Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, to be synonymous. In the Hebrew Old Testament, God gives the Spirit to specific individuals, usually that have some leadership role. But when they disobey, God may remove the Spirit, as, for example, the case with King Saul and Samson, the judge. So for many people during the Old Testament period, the Spirit was not a permanent indwelling, as is the case in the New Testament, as we'll see in today's text, the story of Pentecost, but rather the, whole, the Spirit was a temporary gift during that period. Jesus clarifies much about the Holy Spirit during his farewell discourses recorded in John's Gospel, chapters 14 through 17. We heard some of those passages in our call to worship this morning. First, let me say the Holy Spirit is one who is the shy member of the Trinity, who focuses attention not on the Spirit owns person, but rather on Jesus Christ. In the farewell discourse, Jesus says the Spirit will testify or bear witness on my behalf and will glorify me. This means that the key function of the Holy Spirit is to keep the spotlight focused on Jesus Christ as he brings people to trust in Christ and applies to our lives the benefits of the salvation achieved by Christ for us. Here's an old illustration from TV that may help. On The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson, who hosted The Late Night Show from 1962 to 1992, Johnny's sidekick, who introduced him with his famous, here's Johnny, who also laughed at his jokes and then joined him at the guest chair when Johnny moved to his desk, was Ed McMahon. Ed's job, much like that of the Holy Spirit, was to keep the spotlight on Johnny to make Johnny look good, to laugh at his jokes, not to focus attention on himself. Now, Ed was welcome to join in the evening's conversation, but the focus was always on Johnny, not Ed. That's also true, friends, of the Holy Spirit in relationship to Christ Jesus. I think a title summarizing the work overall of the Holy Spirit might be the Converter, one who makes Jesus real for us and brings us to faith, making the truth about Christ my personal truth, your personal truth. This means that we can have confidence that when we have embraced Christ by faith as our sin-bearer, master, and guide, it was because of the Holy Spirit's work. As Paul told 
the Christians in Corinth, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Second, the Spirit works closely and harmoniously with God the Creator and Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches in the Farewell Discourse that he will send the Holy Spirit to his followers after his departure, making Jesus the unique dispenser of the Spirit. The risen Christ and the Holy Spirit work closely together while Jesus, in, in Jesus' earthly ministry, there's a clear distinction between Jesus, of course, and the Spirit. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, this distinction becomes blurred. At one point, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul writes, the Lord is the Spirit, and speaks just a few sentences later of the Lord, comma, the Spirit, as if the two are overlapping. The Apostle Paul also uses the phrases in Christ and in the Spirit, Christ in you and the Spirit in you interchangeably. In his introduction to his Acts of the Apostles, Luke says that in his first volume, that is his gospel, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This implies that after his ascension, the risen Christ continues his earthly ministry through the Holy Spirit. At the same time, there is a key difference. In the days of his earthly ministry, Jesus was limited by time and space. The Holy Spirit then comes to universalize the presence of the risen Christ beyond any boundaries of space and time. So the Spirit points people to Christ Jesus and continues Jesus' earthly ministry after his ascension. Third, in the farewell discourse, Jesus teaches that he will ask God to give his followers the spirit of truth to be with them forever and to abide with them and promises the spirit will be in you as a permanent resident. Well, today, friends, we explore Luke's account of the Pentecost event. And as we do, it's important to remember that at the beginning of Luke's Acts of the Apostles, just before describing Jesus' ascension to God, Jesus promises the eleven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice that Jesus gives the apostles a worldwide mission to bear witness to him and promises the Spirit who also bears witness to Christ, will empower them for that great undertaking. That witness-bearing mission got underway with explosive power 50 days after Easter on the Jewish Holy Day, Pentecost, which celebrated God's gift of the law as well as the spring harvest. Let's hear now our text from Acts chapter 2 as Katie Flowers reads for us. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up, and of all the and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this poured out this that you both see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Well, as you heard in Katie's reading, in Luke's account, the Spirit's presence was first evident by the sound of a violent wind. Remember that the Hebrew word ruach may mean either wind or spirit. And also, the Spirit was made manifest by a flame-like reality which rested on each of the disciples' heads. This may be a signal that the words of John the Baptist about the Messiah baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire were being fulfilled. The Holy Spirit plays this central role in the events of Pentecost, giving birth to the church. First is an attention-getting and witness-bearing device. The Holy Spirit fills Jesus' 120 followers, enabling them to miraculously speak in foreign languages in which they had no formal training. Because Pentecost was one of three annual pilgrimage feasts there were in Jews that day in Jerusalem, people from all over the Roman Empire and beyond. And each of these Jewish pilgrims was surprised to hear Jesus' Palestinian followers speaking in his or her own native language from around the whole empire and beyond. This miracle begins the fulfillment of Jesus' command to the apostles that they bear witness to him in Jerusalem. And at the same time, it's a representative fulfillment of the risen Christ's command that his disciples be witnesses to him to the ends of the earth. Well, with that spirit-inspired device, a huge crowd gathered in Jerusalem to hear Peter preach his Pentecost sermon. He said that what the people were witnessing was the fulfillment of God's promise recorded by the prophet Joel that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord, not just on key leaders, but on all believing people. The Greek verb used here, translated pour out, suggests an unprecedented deluge of God's Spirit would fall on and permanently indwell these Christians. Peter then tells the story of Jesus' powerful ministry of deeds of power, wonders, and signs, and then speaks of Jesus' crucifixion, and especially his triumph over death and his resurrection. Second, Peter presents the risen Christ as the unique dispenser of the Holy Spirit. Peter said of the risen Christ in his sermon, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, meaning the risen Christ, has poured out this that you both see and hear. New Testament scholar David Peterson comments, what the crowd at Pentecost could see and hear 
were signs of Jesus' exaltation to the position of absolute glory, power, and authority in the universe. As the dispenser of the Spirit, he was now acting with God the Father, sharing fully in God's heavenly rule. So first, the Spirit, as an attention-getting device, miraculously allows Jesus' Palestinian followers to speak in foreign languages in which they have no training about God's love in Christ. Then Peter preaches a sermon during which he speaks about the risen Christ and ascended Christ as the unique dispenser of the Holy Spirit. And third, Peter concludes his Pentecost sermon promising the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God for those who trust in Christ. He proclaimed, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And Luke reports, as a result, those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. And that's a summary, at least, of how the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church. Well, how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives today? The Spirit provides us with hope that Jesus is able to take a broken life and make it whole. Jesus provides us with the conviction that the gospel story is true, that the risen Christ is able to grant meaning to each of our lives. The Holy Spirit convinces us that God's love for all people in Christ isn't just a general truth, but that God's love is personally available for each one of us. God treasures each of us. Some people question whether the Holy Spirit has actually entered their lives because they haven't experienced anything as dramatic, certainly, as the events of that first Pentecost day. For example, British Christian C.S. Lewis. Now, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit has used C.S. Lewis's many books to bring countless people, probably in the millions, to faith in Jesus Christ. And yet his conversion experience was not at all dramatic. He describes it in his book, Surprised by Joy, in this way. He says, I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step of embracing Christ was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like when a man, after long sleep, still lying motionless, becomes aware he is now awake. So some of us will have a, a, a dramatic conversion experience. Others, it will be very, very undramatic, like that of C.S. Lewis. Here's the key question we must contemplate which demonstrates the presence or absence of God's indwelling spirit in our lives. Have we embraced Christ Jesus by personal faith as Lord and Savior? If we are trusting in Christ, then we can be confident the Holy Spirit has brought us to faith and walks with us, energizing us to serve Christ and his purposes in the world. 
It's not an issue of religious experience, but of personal faith in Christ. Now, many make the story of Pentecost about the power of the Holy Spirit relieved in, re released sorry, into our lives as followers of Jesus. And that's true. But the Spirit is always linked to the risen Christ, helping us to accept his lordship and grow in our life of faith, trusting in Christ. In the words of my mentor, Earl Palmer, the power of the Holy Spirit is not so much an ingredient within me, but is something much better. It is the power that is set loose in me, knowing how strong and how immense is the authority that Jesus Christ have, has. That's the power I have as a Christian. Not so much an ingredient in me, but a confidence in Christ. It is his power. It is his authority. You may be wondering, well, okay, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit's basic function is to point me toward Christ and help me live out my discipleship. But the mystery surrounding the Holy Spirit makes me feel so passive. How can I respond by working in cooperation with God's Spirit? One thing we discover in Luke's Acts of the Apostles is a number of descriptions of Christians being full of the Holy Spirit as they serve Jesus Christ. In addition, in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, Paul prays that they may be filled with the Spirit, filled with God's Holy Spirit. So how do we seek to grow in faith and stay faithful and obedient to God's will for our lives? It's always appropriate, friends, to pray, asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So if you desire a closer relationship with Christ, to be a more dedicated follower, to bear witness to Christ with loving acts and thoughtful words, then ask God to continually fill you with the Holy Spirit. God bless you as you do. Amen.